Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. I'm Brian Moore and over the course of the podcast we'll be hearing from Thomas Waldrum, Martin Williams, Malcolm O'Kelly and Poppy Cleal to get their views on the latest news and action from last week. First, I'm joined here in the studio by The Telegraph's rugby correspondent Mick Cleary. Mick, how are you? Very well indeed. Thank you, Brian. Had a good weekend of European action to take in. I did the graveyard shift 5.30 <laughs> Sunday. Hopefully um, uh, our campaign, a relentless campaign, will change that slot next year. But uh, no, some very good uh, action. Well, let's start, let's start on the other side of the world where Australia beat the All Blacks. Yeah, no, I had a full catch potato day on, uh, on Saturday for various reasons and that, that started it off. And listen, we know... If the Bledisloe Cup was was already won and the championship was already won, but is there such a thing as a kind of a meaningless game between Australia and New Zealand? Not often, you know. But what was heartening, really, never mind maybe the All Blacks weren't at at, at fever pitch or whatever else, is is the reemergence or the rise back up again, start of that cycle of of the Wallabies, because it doesn't suit anybody that you know that the top countries aren't strong. And well, they always get it right in time for World Cups. They invariably turn up very competitive you know their record is is very good and actually the, the one of the byproducts of it is the autumn internationals where they come over here and now take on a bit more um you know there's a bit more spice to them isn't there it is i mean uh, lots of people have said why aren't england playing new zealand i'm glad they're not playing new zealand actually i don't like new zealand being here every year playing everybody all the time because otherwise what's the point of a world cup you know so if the schedule is that they're not they're not, you know, we wait, wait until that day with great anticipation. But we've got the Wallabies at Twickenham in the, in the middle of November, and that's great, you know, to, to see that. That's a proper, a proper contest, as, as it should be. Well, we'll now look at a few questions that have been sent in by uh, listeners. Um, the first one relates to the same incident from Ben Bacon and Harry Lang. It relates to um, Ben Whitehouse and mm. uh, his control uh, over the weekend or... or or right. whatever you want to call it, whatever. Right there off. You know, um, in the Northampton Saints game. Yeah. Now, I mean, look, I mean, refereeing's very hard, but and I don't think he was supported as well as he should have been by his assistants and the TMO. But between them, they contrived not necessarily to lose control of the game completely, but it, it stopped, started, yes, a serious injury, yes, there were incidents, but one thing I'm not in favour of is referees giving extended chats to yeah. players. Yeah, too much faffing. I, I don't like it either. Whether it's through the chat or whether the, it seems to me we're creeping back in again. This sort of referral to the TMO at every possible kind of little 
incidents that needs checking and whatever else rather than just getting on with it. And I think you'd know better than I, Brian. I think it unsettles players in the end if there's all that stop-start. As you say, there was a serious injury, and that's fine, as there was at the end of the, the Wasp Harlequins game. I was at uh, the Rico last night. And of course, you know, due care and, and proper care. But there's no need. And he lost that kind of... If the referee loses authority... Well, the other thing is... Um, <laughs> It's partly understandable, but if you're not speaking French to a French side oh. and only you know their captain Hooker does speak English, but then you're not giving him time to disseminate whatever you're saying, it's only a partial uh, use, even if if at all. So I, you know, I, I just question that in general. Now there are several incidents arising out of them. One, the para incident. Now the referee has overall control. Mm. And people have got this wrong over the weekend saying, you know, he can't overrule a medic. Yes, he can. Yes. Nigel Owens, very clear on that. Once you've seen someone uh, be knocked out and you say he's unconscious, does he then have the duty to say, I don't care what the medic said, mm. um, I saw he was unconscious, he's off? As I understand it, Brian, the overarching edict from World Rugby is, if in doubt, remove. That's as simple as it is. That's certainly been the case, i.e., you then don't have to go through protocols if there's a sense of a doubt. Now, in actual fact, with the parents and having looked at it and seen all the TV replays, I'm not sure that he didn't inadvertently or, or wrongly say he's unconscious. Because at that very moment he was saying that, Perrin was shaking his head and opening his eyes. And I don't think Ben Marlis was actually looking at him. I think his communication there was possibly at fault. However, if that's what he felt then he should have then backed himself to say, I still think that was a serious head incident. I don't care what the HIA might say later than that. I thought he was unconscious and that's it. So because it may the, have been a communication breakdown or it may have been something far more serious. on the one hand, you've got uh, a fact that a player who has passed an HIA and is fit to carry on doesn't get to play the next 50 minutes. That's, that's what you lose mm. if you take that. The other side of it is, potentially far more serious yeah. you get someone who for whatever reason and let, let you know it's very difficult to go against doctors but let's face it you and I both know under pressure and you know and so on they they can be uh, persuaded in certain circumstances and I think the overriding aspect should be player safety always always now let's move on to Dylan Hartley um, mm. he was given a yellow card at the time my view of it was that it was borderline because I thought it was inadvertent. Yes, he did make contact with Slomani, um, but it, you seem to think that there's a distinct possibility of him being cited. Yeah, which I'm surprised to, to, to learn. I think that's uh, certainly in the offing. It certainly was obviously raised at the time because there's been contact with the head and there's been a crackdown from last year by World Rugby on, on uh, any, any contact by a player with a head and it's it's no good even arguing anymore that a player ducked into it in this case it seemed to me entirely kind of accidental almost because he was looking to clear out the big Claremont sort of second row standing behind who moved aside as, as Hartley yeah, came and from a player's point of view once you commit to going over and trying to drive some out of the way you don't know whether he's going to fully engage step backwards or whatever so you can't sort of wait until he does what he you know, does what he wants to do because if he gets in there, you won't have a proper chance to clear him out, and that you know, with all the consequences and so on. Bearing in mind the referee, the TMO, they all discussed this. It went on for a while, as mm. a lot of things in this game did. Too long. Um, they decided that. I can understand why sighting officers have to be given the freedom 
to cite even when things have been discussed and seen by referees mm. and officials. But th- in that in, in these instances, it should be, to me, where there has been what, by any standards, is a clear misjudgment. Correct. And Correct. you've just, in the heat of the moment or whatever, you've seen something which subsequently you might not think when you're off the field. Now, that's not in, nowhere near in this instance. Well, sighting is only uh, brought into play if, if it's deemed a red card offence, and there's no way that could be deemed a red card offence. I agree with you, it was borderline. Yellow card, a penalty, would possibly have survived because he went off his feet, you know, didn't mean to go off his feet, but he did. Of course, if they brought back rucking, we all know that all those kind of <laughs> things would, uh, would, re- would change as they... Uh, as they should do. To what extent won't. do you think this is um, a reflection of, of Hartley's reputation yeah. and record? Uh, totally. 100% it is. I think that they're just worried that they'll be accused of dereliction of their kind of duty to, to do this if, if they don't take action. A guy who's a serial offender on various fronts. In this, it's absolutely, I and mean, it shouldn't be. It's got well, nothing no, to it do can't, with it. Well, it can't be because you've got to judge the instant incident. It's fully relevant if he's found guilty and mm. then you're looking at sanction and, and previous record. But, um, you know, you've got to judge each individual incident, you know, as it, as it goes by. So I think, we're fairly, um, I think we're fairly agreed on that. Yeah. Uh, question from Stephen Lane. Um, is verbal sledging plus mm. pats on the head, faces, etc. becoming a problem in rugby? What would you have done if somebody had patted you on the head as a patronizer kind of well done mate you've made a great cock up there um, um, might you have had I might well have reacted yes, um, yes. and the only thing I'd say uh, is, interesting use of the word know, might I, I, I hesitate to opine too much on this for, for fear of being called a hypocrite because I used to oh, do it as well I however I do remember you know, one now. I do remember <laughs> however, actually however you know what you've got, got to say about this it doesn't do it the game any good does it um, there's no positives to it. And these games mean so much now. There's money you're involved. Tr- you were a bit of a trendsetter, actually. So no, yeah. you, you probably you know, get away with it on those grounds, really. It and wasn't the thing <laughs> 20-odd years ago. No, maybe now it is. But, but there is too much. There's no yeah. question there's too much of it. Yeah. There's too much yap uh, between player to player. There's too much... I think, as you say, there's too much interface between player and referee. I know that's what they always want to get, a relationship and all that kind of stuff. I think it goes too far at times. Well, one of the problems... You know, if you have a referee who wants to engage in discourse with players, is it encourages them to talk as well? Yeah. You know, it, it lengthens everything, and and I just don't think that because then you get a, a people players feeling free who are not captains as well. You know, to contribute advice at every point, which they will do, obviously to try and influence referees. And for me, officials are making a rod for their own back, whilst trying to. I don't know what it is. Be sociable, you know. Have a rapport with the players. You look at the, you know, what I would say the the very top referees, Nigel Owens. I thought Wayne Barnes had a very good game. He did have a very good game. Um, and there is a bit of to and fro, yeah. but it's short. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't invite you know lots of uh, lots of extended comment, and that's the way I think it should stay. And I think that kind of brandishing of card by a player. Trying to get somebody either yellow card well, or be immediate yellow for you if you do that. Correct. Correct. Whatever happened to the ten meters back law? Well, um, that, while we're w- on this subject, it, it was used in one game. I can't remember offhand um, which one it was, but it, it was used early on in the game. And I think you know that's that's a sanction which is effective and should just should be used more. But I'd say it's fingers of one hand over the last twelve, eighteen, maybe Absolutely. two months, no, two years. Yeah, Absolutely, I agree more. with that. 
Um, let's just very quickly, because we've got guests who can cover mm. most of this, but um, Scarlet's Bath, that was, uh, ironically, Bath have got uh, any amount of firepower out wide, and yet the last three games where they've had to grind it out yeah. is where they've been most successful. Yes, no, I saw them uh, get, get a win at Welford Roller in the season doing just that. You know, there's a lot of character down there, which, you know, I know it's, a, it's sometimes a bit of a, a kind of sweeping statement, but you, you can tell a side that actually wants to play with each other and for each other. And certainly the two or three times I've seen Bath and Friday night was another example. There's something there which is, which is good to see. And poor old Scarlets, <laughs> the one thing they couldn't lay on down there was the weather. It was just the filthiest, yes. filthiest Stone night. Bryant or whatever it is, I don't know, whatever. Um, <laughs> Lens- Blaming you again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Leicester Castro, good win for uh, Leicester. But it stands out, Benetton coming, well, barring one play, um, from downing um, Toulon. And I, you just knew it was yeah, going to happen, didn't you? It was Laura. So I, I switched over from the Claremont game once I saw that scoreline. I thought, oh, what's the last five minutes here? Benetton got got the penalty which put them in front and I think there was there was seconds on the clock and you thought as you said they'll kick off catch drive bang 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 and as, as happened great shame uh, I think it's great to see you know the two well, Italian sides have been actually playing you know well in, in the you've got a reasonable record now in the Pro 14 and acquitting themselves well in Europe. Yeah, so and I, I, I'm against. I, I, I'd like to see them stay in the competition because it's on meritocracy from next year. So it's the top, what is it, seven or whatever it'd be in Pro 14. They don't make it. There's no Italian representation. I think that's going to be. It's short sighted. I think you've well, got. Well, you've a, got a knock on problem because if you. Uh, relegate them just to the Pro 14 mm. their players who are preparing for the Six Nations have a significantly you know uh, inferior uh, preparation yes. because they're not in Europe and then that has not going to affect in yeah. the Six Nations which you don't want no no ab- absolutely right and I, I think I know they've had a lot of time now it's 2000 they came in so you can say we're 17 18 years down the road Georgia are out there knocking why don't we giving them chances elsewhere in a format you know so um we are now trying to apply meritocracy here. Why are you arguing against it? Well, because of the thing you've just said, I, I think there's a danger that they will just drop off that mat. You want to encourage sort of sides ra- rather than, I, I don't know, sort of punish them at, at, at the drop of a hat. OK, let's uh, get a, an independent uh, view on the Welsh aspect to the European campaign. So I'm pleased to say we can now speak with the former Wales, Lions and Cardiff Blues flanker, Martin Williams. Hello, Martin. Yeah, good evening, Brian. Um, Five-day turnaround for Scarlets. Is that fair? No, um, not at all. I know, in fairness, they haven't really come out and made that excuse, but I think when, you, when you're asking to you know, back up, playing against Toulon, obviously one of the strongest squads in Europe, and then you know to travel back from Toulon on the Sunday, um, your recovery days your Monday, and they, you know, by all accounts, they had one session really before they uh, had had opportunity to play Bath on the Friday night so whether that was the difference uh, I'm not sure I think you know we've got to give Bath credit they played very well obviously these Priestland was outstanding on the night but I I think the the, you know the powers to be have got to look at that because I I couldn't see any reasoning why they were asked to do the five day tournament they were the only team to do that and there were were plenty of other teams who could have gone on you know played Friday to Friday and had the for TV, so yeah, very difficult and you know not not really fair in the Scarlets, but you know ultimately they come up short. How much influence did the weather have on this uh, result? You know what it's like, Brian. It's, it's a simple ball team, isn't it? So uh, I don't think you know the Scarlets like to play a certain way. We know about that, but they've 
you know, their punt is very underestimated and um, it's gone well in that type of weather over the last 12 to 18 months. So I, I probably did have an effect. You saw the try they scored, which was absolutely fantastic. So, you know, rugby can it shows what sort of rugby can be played in those conditions. But I just think it probably had a, an effect on the game per se because, you know, going into that game, you're thinking of a nice dry day with the, the stars and the attacking prowess you've had in both teams. You thought that could be a really attractive game to watch. It could probably kill the game as a spectacle. But I, I don't think you're going to... You know, I, I do, I'd say more what inhibited the Scarlet's more was the five-day turnaround rather than the weather. It's the five-day turnaround. It's a real curse. I mean, Wasps had it... Well, Ulster to start off with. Exeter have got it um, this week, in fact, coming from Montpellier. I think they might be uh, slightly happier heading towards yeah. sale on Friday night after that fantastic win in, um, uh, in Montpellier. But it, it, it is wrong, and it's, it's, it's the paymasters of, uh, of television, I think. As you say, there ought to be a, a jigsaw they should, put, should be able to put together. On the broader front, Martin, the Scarlets obviously have, have um, slipped up uh, in Europe. I mean, how... The great conundrum of, of Welsh uh, Welsh sides and, and uh, the regions coming on. How's the sort of mood down there? I mean, as ever, there's still a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of unrest with the Rhys Webb thing in terms of qualification as well, moving out of the regions. It's a big question, but how do you see the future of those kind of regions? Is there a sense of something happening, something coming together? You know, it's like down your make it's mm. more you, you spend more time speaking about the political aspect of yeah. the game than yeah. the actual okay. game it's games itself. So there's always a spanner thrown in the works. Like the Reese Webb incident's unfortunate. I think totally understand why they've come up with that ruling. Mm. What I couldn't couldn't understand why, you know, they they could have just made the, the statement look from this day forward, anybody who signs, mm. um and then you get you know, then you've got Reese Webb available. I don't think anybody would have batted an eyelid if they'd gone away that way. But it's it feels as if Reese has been made a bit of a scapegoat. Yes. Whether that's what the WRU wanted wanted to happen to make a point to, to correct, sort of yeah, that players. Yeah. I'm not so sure. Maybe it was, and then it, you know that it's definitely had the effect that way. But no, I think generally you look at the first two weeks um, from a regional point of view. Thank, thankfully, the Ospreys have really stood up, and you know even though they come short against Claremont and Saracens, they performed really well. The Blues have had two really good wins. Uh, the Dragons is positive signs coming out of there. So, and the Scarlets, look, they've, they've just had a really tough draw. Mm. So there is a sense that what, what we have got in Wales, I think we've got some fantastic younger players coming through. Um, what we really struggle with um, is, is just getting the marquee players from, from aboard, which strengthen the teams. You know, that you've seen that France and, and, and English teams have got that. That's our downfall. And I think we are producing some quality players, but we, at the moment, we're struggling to sort of back them up with, with the with three or four quality overseas players. So that's why we probably are not going to get to the knockout stages of, mm. of the Champions Cup. But I, I really do think that, you know, there's a much better relationship now between the Welsh Rugby Union and the regions. Um, well, and they seem, seem to be very... working together more. Well, that's very good to uh, to hear. Let's just go back to the uh, the Ospreys. Very, very close, and I think getting a you know two uh, two bonus points uh, despite losing. You know, when you lose Justin Tipperick and Dan Lydia, yeah. you know, an hour before kickoff, and Reese Webb's you know not available. Um, do you think there was any element of Saracens underestimating them slightly? I Look, I think what Saracens did to Northampton the week before, it's it's very difficult to back that up. Um, you know, as much as you make all the right sounds in training, the coaches, the senior players about, you know, let's not drop our standard. It is very difficult to back up. And in, 
And like you mentioned there, for the Ospreys players, it was a real no-lose situation. But, you know, it wasn't a case for me that the Ospreys, well, you know, I really enjoyed about the game. They didn't just hang on in there and, you know, make it really difficult to Saracens. They actually played some fantastic rugby as well. So, look, there were lots of people in Wales thinking that would be a 40, 40 50-point mm. hammering. So, oh. to come away with the style they played in and, you know, to push Saracens that close was an incredible achievement when you look at the players they've been missing and the form they've been in as well because they, they really have been a team that for the last six or seven months for one reason or another the, the, the wheels have totally come off and they've been a very poor outfit but I think this two weeks hopefully have given them confidence to go on so it was, it was a great performance from them against Arsons And the Wales squad tomorrow I think it is Martin yeah. what are you expecting there um, broadly there's a few injuries as, as there are in, in, in all the camps Yeah I think as is Warren Gatlin's way, I don't think you'll see many changes. Um, there'll be a lot of familiar faces. Obviously, you know, Sam Morbid and all George North, which is yeah. which is obviously a big, big blow. Um, any you know, we've got a small pool of players. It is so for us to lose that quality is going to hurt. But you know, some hopefully Steph Evans has been electric mm. form for the Scarlet, so I'd expect to see him in there and probably start. Uh, be one of the, have one of the starting berths. And in the back row, of the, you know, Ross Moriarty, we still hopefully could put out Ross Moriarty, Tipperick and Falato. So still a very strong looking back row. So I, I don't think, I, one area which we, I think a lot of us down here are looking out to see Reese Webb. I, I'm sure they will pick Reese Webb again. And I think they should, even though he's apparently not going to be available next year. So I think it's, it, it'll be a very, it is a very experienced, um, close knit squad. So I, I wouldn't expect Gatland to divert too much from what we've seen in the past. No, and a decent lineup of uh, tests to come in um, in November. It's, yeah, it, it looks really difficult. Yeah, it's a rugby championship. It yeah. looks a yeah. very difficult concept. No, we couldn't ask really for a tougher campaign. So, and we're always, you know, historically, we are very slow starters in the autumn. Get better as the campaign goes on, but they'll need to hit the ground running this this year, especially with the Australians. You no know, first up, and after the uh, the victory on the weekend, they look even though Falau's you know, who's going to be missing from that opening game. They look a very dangerous outfit. So, yeah, it's going to be a really, really tough autumn for the Welsh team. Well, we will see. That, Martin, thanks very much. Cheers, guys. Good to speak to you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, Exeter, uh, champions, uh, four times in Europe previously, not had distinguished campaigns. This time it's going a lot better. I'm really pleased we can speak to the Chiefs number eight, start against Montpellier. Thomas Waldron. Uh, hello, Thomas. Hello, mate. How are you? Not too bad. Don Armand, let's start, because he's, <laughs> he's right next to you in, in, in camp, on the field yeah. and so on. He had another tremendous game. Do you think he merits an international opportunity? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the way he's performing and, and what he does week in, week out, um, and, and we can tell because he's, he's a top performer for us. And um, being there and knowing what it's like on the test level, I definitely know that... Um, he, he can take the next step up. So, and that's the thing. That's what you always have to do: is perform well for your club, and hopefully, those honours come. And he's doing it tremendously well. And so Sam and Henry and um, Harry. So a lot of the boys are standing up and putting their hands up, which is nice. It's uh, uh, Thomas McCleary here. Hi, mate. Hi. I mean, there's a lot of competition in that back row, as you would know from being a back rower yourself as well. So, but that's that's kind of maybe what's improvement in Dom as well over his form. Rob Baxter was talking after the game. I understand about how he's got to work on his ball carrying, get get a bit lower in that. But 
with these second rows coming back into the back row, the Toje and Courtney Laws, as if there weren't enough competition. You've got to be good to get in that squad. So if he, if he does make it in the uh, announcement on Thursday, he will really have merited because there's, uh, there's some fine players uh, uh, tilting for those spots as well, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And, and that's the thing, it just shows you that what we're doing down here definitely works and uh, working hard and working on working on your game um, definitely helps and and that's the thing. That's all you can do is put your best foot forward, and uh, and then it's in other people's hands. All you can do is control what you can do on the field. And uh, like I said, all those boys are doing what they can do on the field, and it's uh, definitely showing. Well, interesting. You come off uh, a good win, um, and your coach Rob Baxter says um, uh, we can still do better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how do you react to that? What can you still do better? Oh, that's the thing. I think like little things, uh, like just before half time, there we sh- we should know better than. Uh, and then they had overthrow and they score in the corner ten or half time, which would have been nice. And it's just, I think, little things like that, just shoring up uh, those little things and making sure that we get those right um, on the next time they arrive, sort of thing. And, and that's the thing we've got to keep learning and just believe in what we're doing. And I think we're doing that well. But there's always areas to improve on as well. Uh, sort of each game, but it's nice to have those, not have the perfect game, and then think, oh, what can you do? We're, sort of, we're improving each week. But you'll take a lot of confidence from that. So that's kind of the result we on the outside have been looking from Exeter for, really. You know, that, that kind of pivotal moment, sort of landmark moment. I know you're in the moment, you're in it yourself, so you can't afford to see it like that. But it's um, after all those years of trying, you've suddenly, you know, it's and, and losing to Claremont in a way and having some pretty big beatings there to go to Montpellier and win. It must do a bit for for morale, confidence, self belief, all those kind of things. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's the thing. The thing we talked about is that after these two rounds, it's about having the control, having the destiny in our own hands, and yeah. us us controlling what we can control, not rely on other results and leaving other teams. They can beat each other, but all we have to worry about is, is what we're doing. Put an extra test performance out there week in week out, what they were proud of, and hopefully the, the results come because we're working so hard for each other, and then. And then it's, it is, it's in our own hands and we can decide where we go and, and if we stuff up, it's our own fault, not relying on other people and stuff like that. It's generally said, and I think rightly so, that uh, the European competitions are a step up from the domestic competitions. You're in there. Um, to what extent is that true? And if so, why? For me, when I sort of came over to England, uh, the Heineken Cup at, at the time was was a draw card. And I think that's what sort of every, every sort of Southern Hemisphere knows about the Heineken Cup and mm. It's a big competition, and um, to do well in it, you've got to perform. And uh, sort of at, at the right time, you can't sort of like the Premiership. You can't peak at the end and wait for like a home semi-final. You've got to to do well. You've got to win on the road, and to start off like that for us this year is probably um, it's a good thing. But now we sort of have to back it up when we know we've got uh, Leinster uh, back to back, and, and those two will probably define where we where we're going to go um, in this pool, really. Yeah, and have those um, sprint sessions you've been giving to Sam Simmons coming along? See, it's 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 had a bit, <laughs> it's paid off a bit. He's a very quick operator, and I, I do wish I had a bit more pace like like he did, but um, sort of coming towards the end these days. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I think he's, yeah, he's, he's devastating from two yards, Thomas. I mean, you know, don't do yourself <laughs> down. I mean, you're very no, no, now. Listen, I, I just joking aside, that that thing we were talking about earlier with Don Armand and England, that competition for places has been been great and it's just what Exeter have needed as well isn't it in, in your own particular kind of position of, of back row but it seems the squad is stronger this year to me again looking in that you can 
cover a few injuries and all that kind of stuff, which you need to do, particularly in Europe. Yeah, exactly. And because the Premiership is so um, difficult and such a grueling competition, uh, like coming off, uh, I think we've got a, quite a, a few big games coming up in the next block, and then we have to go straight into links around the Christmas time. Uh, yeah, you probably are going to pick up a few injuries, but guys are stepping up all the time, and I think Dave Yule is not too far away as well. So mm-hmm. we're getting so even more for talent coming back and. And that's the thing, only four four guys can compete on the weekend, but then it sort of might give Rob a bit more options to rotate and um, find some different balances that he probably didn't have available to him earlier in the season and stuff like that. But and that's the thing, as long as everyone sort of has game minutes uh, and, and then he picks the best team uh, for that weekend, really. Thomas, um, the best of luck. You've returned to domestic action, but uh, best of luck, mate, and thank you very much. No Thanks problem. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Let's look at the, the other question I posed. La Rochelle, or Atlantic mm. Stad Rochelais. Uh, quite apart from Victor Vito's abnormal handling skills. Yeah. Well, Brock uh, James, yeah. You know, he, um, he just typified the sort of ambition, uh, whatever flair, <clears throat> uh, and execution that, that when they get it right, they're going to be difficult to stop, especially at home. Well, I thought they were terrific against Harlequins week before I mean they've you know they're an unknown package to us really because it's the first year in the competition but and to some extent even even in France you know I mean they took the top four team by by storm last year didn't they come through they're in an unfashionable part of of France as well in terms of rugby pedigree so they're not known but I mean the, the stadium looked uh, terrific as well you know they got the uh, same colours as Claremont and it was absolutely packed with the yellow flags waving pre um, pre uh, the Ulster game so they'll be very hard to beat as they showed having won at Quinns as well home or away yeah. so it was good to see Wasp come back after sort of a real sort of four or five weeks of uh, in the doldrums and that but they'll have to go some to uh, to win there now because that that really that pool has sort of shaken down already I think and it's uh, Wasp have got it all to do if they're to, to, to pull it off against La Rochelle I think well, having had a Welsh perspective from Martin Williams, I'm very pleased to say that we can have another Celtic uh, look uh, and angle on the uh, weekend's games. Malcolm O'Kelly is here, former Ireland Leinster and London Irish Lock. Hello, Malcolm. Uh, hi, Brian. How are you? OK, thank you. Let's start with uh, a good win uh, by Leinster, 34-18 yeah. at Glasgow. Uh, yeah. Glasgow needed, actually, it wasn't a must-win game, but they needed... I yeah. thought to to get something at least out of this game, and yet they were not entirely dismantled, but Leinster were comfortable winners. Yeah, well, the re- the result was uh, just a clever result for Leinster. Um, from you know, from they've had a slow start. It hasn't been, and they've had a lot of guys who who have been either injured or just coming back into form. So it's been a slow start for Leinster, and they kind of scrambled over the line against Montpellier but against Glasgow they yeah, like they, it wasn't that they played amazing rugby but they were just they were just dominant I think Glasgow dropped a lot of ball they they certainly broke uh, Leinster down on occasion and just seemed to you know really uh, drop the ball over the line on occasions uh, let themselves down I think they'll be bitterly disappointed and you know, for Leinster, it's a superb result to get four tries in Glasgow uh, and away, uh, an away win at a bonus point really puts them in great position for uh, yeah, for the group, you know. Sexton, um, how important for Ireland in the 
forthcoming Autumn Internationals is his fitness? Um, yeah, well, I think Leinster certainly are a different side with, with Johnny playing. As I say, his ability to attack the gain line, uh, as you said, there was a little, little new little wrinkle in, in Leinster's play where he was uh, feeding a, a runner and the runner was popping it straight back to him. Normally, that's a that's a centre or, or something that just attacked much closer in. Um, and uh, Glasgow were just were just uh, caught napping. Uh, now was uh, one in particular. I remember was Scott Fardy's little uh, little giddly. It was just uh, absolute class, real great timing. Um, and you know that, that was that was the kind of difference. And Johnny does bring that. Uh, and and you know Johnny needed a few games, and I think he really found his his uh, his way in the, in that Glasgow match. Mm. And when Johnny's on form. Uh, you know, Leinster and Ireland are really, are really firing. Um, everything that's that's strong about Ireland and Leinster, you know, is personified through him. He's, uh, you know, his authority, his leadership uh, shouldn't be underestimated. Uh, obviously, his his skill and his ability to to uh, penetrate uh, opposition is is you know is is being well documented. Um, you know, and he's a he's a class act and really important for Ireland. Uh, Malcolm, Mick Cleary here. Hi, Mick. Hi. And what? And for, for Len, I mean, Leinster as Munster before them had a great uh, attachment to the, to the Heineken Cup, didn't they? Is that is that still there? I'm sure it is. You know, and, and therefore this this back to back with Exeter in December is uh, is oh, a yeah. crucial kind of uh, uh, two round of fixtures, isn't it? Really. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Exeter over the last couple of seasons have just become uh, an incredible outfit. You know, one uh, that resonates, I think, with Ireland in terms of, you know, their how they play, their, mm. their work ethic, yeah, their physicality, um, you, you know, their, their never-say-die attitude. And, you know, they showed that in Montpellier. When, well, you know, should, they should Montpellier should have been clear, but... Yeah, you know they never gave up and they kept at them. And Montpellier tired, and suddenly Exeter got their noses in front, and then just, you know, uh, put everyone behind the goal, and and there was no getting over. Uh, so it was a great performance for them, and it just is is teed up now. A, a you know a, a really exciting prospect. Um, you know, two two teams who uh, who are who are who are who could be in great form by. Uh, certainly by by December. And would Leinster? You know, uh, sorry, the interrupt you. Would Leinster be considered to lead the Irish charge in, in, of, of the provinces? I guess they would be given given the uh, the opening two yeah. rounds. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, the, majority, the bulk of the Irish team are made up uh, from the from the Leinster side. Um, you know, if you were to say to a Munster man, they probably wouldn't agree with me. No. <laughs> but um, you know, certainly from my perspective, I'd say Leinster probably are. Uh, just by the fact that they'll have probably 10 or 11 players uh, off the back of the internationals uh, coming back to play against Exeter, I would imagine. Um, you know, that has its own risk because so many players will be, you know, could be, you know, off the back of three tough games to come back in and uh, then go, uh, um, you know, I think there's one game in between uh, mm. the two big Heineken Cup matches. So it's always tricky, uh, tricky time to get your performances right, and um, and as well to be playing at the Viva Stadium. So 
it's not it's not the RDS which they're which they're kind of probably a bit more comfortable in. Oh, okay. Viva has proven to be uh, a recent time it hasn't been the kind of fortress that they would have liked. You know, some teams have come there and beaten them, uh, and the December fixtures. So, you know, I think for I think for Leinster, there's there's you know great optimism. Uh, I think maybe from Munster's perspective, um, they got a real test against Racing, but uh, they can be quite happy with where they are where they are now as well. You know, well, uh, let's, the two let's... provinces are in good shape. Yeah, Mick and I were earlier on talking about uh, Ulster and uh, La Rochelle. Now, you know, forty. 40- yeah. 117. Um, yeah. To what extent was that down to the the brilliance at times of La Rochelle? And to what extent yeah. did Ulster not quite make the grade? I, I watched that game. Uh, for me, La Rochelle were just, as you say, were just fantastic to watch. Um, some of their, some of their uh, individual players were phenomenal. Um, their, their ability to counter-attack was 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 incredible. Um, as you say, you, you, I would imagine, having seen the previous game, uh, also should have done, would have known their ability, you know, mm-hmm. to counter attack. Yet, how many times do we see Ulster not making touch, you know, giving them opportunities, mm-hmm. and uh, they just kept taking them. And uh, to be fair, Ulster dug deep, and you know, arguably could have been four tries down after about half an hour. Uh, La Rochelle had so many opportunities uh, and I, you know I think La Rochelle are, are just such an exciting side um, you know for them the biggest issue will be their depth of their squad and yeah. you know come come uh, come April I would expect them to get through obviously but uh, come April you know what's the makeup of their first side you know uh, but you know if they have their best team out uh, in La Rochelle that would be some some undertaking for any any team. You're absolutely right, Malcolm. We'll have to leave it there, but thank you very much for your contribution. No worries, Brian. Take care. Cheers. Thanks. This was French rugby. As it, I'm doing sound an old git here, but they did Carry used to on. play like this all the time, didn't yeah, they? I was you know, every every team uh, was uh, capable of doing this. You know, if you get if you gave yeah. them loose ball from turnovers or poor kicks. I was thinking the same thing there as Malcolm was talking about it. It's, it's that, exactly that. I mean, that's how the top 14 have become a really turgid, boring affair for, for years. All those years where you couldn't see French club rugby and yearn to see it. Uh, when you could see it over the last two or three years, it's been as dull as ditchwater. And yet suddenly there does seem to me to be a bit of a change in it, you know that they've still got the big guys, but the big it's guys not, are actually. I think you, it's not just uh, La Rochelle. I do no, see absolutely. signs with the other clubs that they are Correct. trying to move away from the yeah. the Toulon um, mode of, of you know a very bash, direct bash. rugby. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they've still got big guys who you've seen, but the big guys can handle. You mm-hmm. know, as we also saw. So it is it is exactly that as Toulouse used to do. 20 years ago he just just flow down and across the field La Rochelle are absolutely doing that and with guys we've not really heard of so the alarm bells will be ringing if the French are finally getting their act together um, then it's it's good news in one sense for the neutral but I mean it's uh, it's it's those will come up in opposition against them you know mm-hmm. maybe they these guys are going to come through if they're picked of course um, yeah, like, that's, you know, what, that's always yeah. the problem I mean you're talking about central contracts given the club ownership structure in France mm. you're going to have a hell of a battle for that 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, as ever, uh, you change your side according to who the paymaster is, and Bernard Laporte is in there now, having once been uh, the fiercest opposition of the uh, the French yeah. Federation, is now is now in charge of the French Federation. So that will be a battlefield, you know. And Guino Vers, as ever, with all those coaches, has to to negotiate and navigate uh, his way through it all. But I mean, listen, we all yearn to see, as we spoke about the Wallabies at the start of the uh, the podcast, you, you yearn to see a French side in in full. In full spate, don't you really? You know, mm-hmm. f- f- throwing the ball and playing, playing as 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 they used to be able to uh, uh, all the time. So, be very interested to see these guys from you know. We talked about Victor Vido is obviously a New Zealand, but there are guys there that we we don't know as players. Uh, same in the Montpellier ranks as well. If they are picked and nurtured and and uh, and allowed to come through. Well, I'm uh, now going to switch, not codes, but I'm going to switch uh, sexes, gender, because I'm very pleased to say we can speak to the Saracens and England lot. Four tries over the weekend. Not bad for a lock, is it? And, um, well, there are things about this uh, girl that you may not know. Identical twin sister, a charity cycle ride at Land's End to John O'Groats, a tractor Panapura, part of the Moody Cows team that's raised over £20,000 for the Macmillan Cancer Support. Very pleased. Poppy Cleal. Hello, Poppy. Hello, Brian. Four tries. Are you allowed to do that in the front five? Actually, I was playing number eight at the, um, oh, okay. at the weekend. Yeah. Right. And they were all about five metres out, so they weren't anything special. Don't, don't, don't say that. No one, no one, you know, <laughs> just embellish. No one needs to know, yeah. <laughs> Look, yeah, um, let's run through the weekend's, uh, you know, action. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wasps, second win of the season, but over some style, actually, Loughborough. Lightning, Danielle Waterman, her first uh, start. How influential would she have been in in in, in turning in, you know in that performance? Yeah, she sounded like she had um, um, a cracking game, and with her working with England internationals like Harriet Miller Mills, they've got a great side down there. And I was really happy for them actually to get their um, I think it's their first home win mm-hmm. and really get going this season because they're going to be up there with one of the teams. They play excited rugby, so it's good for them to get their win at home. Um, poor old. Um, Worcester Valkyries, the, another um, hammering, really, 43-0 uh, <coughs> Gloucester Heartbreak. How? I, I, it's difficult to say because no one wants to see A-side you know, doing, mm-hmm. doing this. But at what point will the powers that be say, look, I'm sorry, but we can't have one team that is demonstrably be- you know, being bettered by the other teams you know, week in, week out? Um, I think they have struggled with the start of the season, but they've just signed a Welsh international, Sean Moore. Mm-hmm. They've got Roy Davis. He led Bristol to the Premiership final um, last year. So they've got a good setup there, and I don't see the results carrying on the way they are right now, like, yeah. keep going. I think they will come... They've played the top four teams, all of them. They're going to be coming up against the bottom um, in the league soon, and I, I do think they're going to get a result soon. It's, it's not... Um, to see, but I don't think it's much to be worried about just yet. Okay, well, I've never played in, nor I'm not sure I've ever seen a nil-nil result. But <laughs> um, there was one: uh, Furwood Waterloo, Darling, Darlington, Moden Park Sharks. Now, um, I struggled to understand how this would happen. You know, bearing in mind the, the way the game is, that there wouldn't be one, um, and I understand the. Uh, weather conditions over the weekend. Have you ever have you ever got anywhere near a nil nil? No, not quite. Um, there was a storm um, at the weekend, wasn't there, Brian? Mm. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. 
Was it Sean Bryan, wasn't it? <laughs> it, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was physically unremarkable, but intensely annoying when it actually arrived. So probably well named, actually. Very well named. Yeah. Um, so I did see the conditions, and they were pretty bad. They had Katie McLean playing 10 for um, Darlington, and for her not to be able to even attempt at post, it must have been um, pretty bad. Yeah. But it's a good point on uh, for, DM, um, for Waterloo, I mean. And Brian, the 9 6 uh, England, uh, Scotland, England beating Scotland in the World Cup semi final in, uh, in 1991, I remember, was not a thing of beauty, but I'm sure it was a thing of beauty to oh, you. It was a thriller. So. Thriller. <laughs> no, exactly. Let's move on from that uh, many, many years ago to Quinns. Uh, I'm sure the men's team would like to swap uh, places uh, domestically, certainly with the women's team, but they another win, 49 12 over Bristol. Um, extending the reign at the moment to the top of the table. I've asked many people, you know, why this is. From your point of view, what are the particular strengths that Quinns have got? Oh, well, that's true. they've got Gary Street there coaching their forwards and their backs, and they just got the setup well. Their structure's good when they're playing, mm-hmm. and they're just finding the space. I've actually just um, finished watching them and their game at the weekend, and every, every time they made a line break, they finished them off. Mm-hmm. So that clinical um, aspect of the game at Quinns is working well for them. Um, I see some bits that I'm excited to play them in a couple of weeks yep. but at right now they're having a good run of it and um, I just think that the girls really um, enjoy getting coached by him mm-hmm. He's clear, his messages are clear and they just thrive on that they've got Rachel Burford at 10 they've got experience of Amy Turner and I think that just all helps bring everyone together there when they've got so much experience of working with Gary so their relationship is pretty impressive and I think they just all amalgamate and work really well together You're um, keeping the pressure on Quinns, mm-hmm. your 29-0 defeat of uh, Richmond. Was that expected? Because Richmond, traditionally, and going back over the years of, of uh, women's rugby, have been a very, very strong side. Can you say the balance of power shifted to yourself and uh, Quinns, certainly within London, if not wider? Um, the scoreline, I don't think, reflected it. It reflected the game. It was so... Each side had a really good defensive um, showing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there were some huge hits, and they've got some some great players and their coach David Mob Smith has just come over from coaching Sweden Sevens he's an outstanding coach but I just think right now Sarri's ladies have got a quality side all around the park we haven't mm-hmm. got, I don't think we've got a, a weakness as such so Richmond will still be there up there and there and thereabout if they weren't there yesterday and I think putting them to nil was a really big um, important message for us to send out into the Premier 15s because mm-hmm. it doesn't happen often to nil a Richmond side because of the quality they have so there is a shift, but I think Richmond will have better days to come. Poppy, that's uh, that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much. Come back and speak to us later on during the season, if you wouldn't mind. OK, OK. I hope I can back up my words. <laughs> well, we'll see, won't we? Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Thank you very me. much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Back to the Aviva Premiership mm. uh, next week. Sale Sharks, Exeter, Quinns, Worcester, Northampton, Wasps, Saracens, London Irish, Bath, Gloucester, Newcastle Leicester is it a bit of a letdown to come back to this or just different it's just different I mean you know it's always uh, a bit of a climatisation for the southern hemisphere guys who come up here and, and, and suddenly you're, you know, you're chopping and changing as you say you know they can't quite understand that sort of uh, that mosaic really when you're, you're in one competition and in another which has a different it shouldn't make a difference but it does you know because it I guess the quality across the board in Europe uh, self-evidently is is higher and, and more consistent um, 
So it is that. I think they're coming into the difficult period, aren't they? They're coming, you know, you're coming into winter for one thing, aren't you? Which which makes a difference, but you're coming into the international sort of phase as well, you know, and that, that presents its own problems, doesn't it, in terms of uh, new players coming through. So it will be an exeter, as we were saying earlier. I mean, they, they've got a really difficult... Difficult uh, turnaround and sail sharks. Absolutely. Um, Friday night up Friday the M6. Night, you know, it's, it's very difficult, but they... Even though there is the safety net of the playoffs and the top four go through, there are all these kind of inbuilt kind of uh, 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 insurance policies, really. So you haven't got to get it right each and every game. However, you can't afford to, to let things slip, you know. And equally, those that have been in the Challenge Cup will actually want to make uh, a mark themselves, really, you know, in, in terms of possibly catching one of the kind of front runners cold over the next two, three, four weeks? Well, the West Country Derby, Bath Gloucester, will obviously be a, mm. a big game, not just because Bath are you know, doing well, but because of the occasion. But let's just, uh, for a final comment on uh, the Premiership fixtures, Newcastle being mm. impressive this season. Um, any chance of them doing a number on Leicester? Yeah, there is. You know, Leicester have been... Leicester have... have, have themselves played well of late having had a slightly bumpy start to it and, and uh, they managed to if they managed to stop Johnny May scoring then they'll probably win it to Newcastle who's been in sensational form I think it's nine, nine tries in eight games or something yeah. I mean uh, terrific you know so they're evolving Leicester um, there's a lot of kind of old old Leicester faces there as well and in, in, in terms of your uh, old pal uh, Dean uh, down to Toby Flood uh, also, former Leicester is now at Newcastle. But New- listen, we're all delighted, you know, to see, without risk of being a bit patronising, to see rugby thriving up there. It's been incremental, yeah. hasn't it, with what uh, what Dean has managed to do up at Newcastle. But it's it's heartening, you know, and they're playing some good rugby as well. I mean, the Dave Walder influence on the back line is is good. Toby Flood's now fit. Mamos, I think, is there thereabouts as well. So you know, you you hopefully. We'll see that. So now I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if they were to get a uh, a result out of that Newcastle. What are you expecting on the England front when Eddie Jones, you know, announces his uh, autumn charges? Are we to expect what we've had previously, with the vast majority being seasoned players, just with one or two wild cards thrown in for? No, I know, think there'll be a little bit more than that um, on on Thursday, simply because he has al- he's always said that he's going to rest two or three of those. Big guns, be it a Farrell, be it an Atoje, be it Jamie George, those guys who did a big shift in New Zealand on the Lions tour. So I think they are all going to be, I would say, the Australia game is, is, the, is the big game and, and not because uh, uh, Eddie's, uh, you know, of uh, own nationality. I think it's, it's seen that's the one you've, you've got to win, really, um, in terms of uh, perception. Argentina are not the force they were two or three years ago or even a couple of years ago. So I think there's going to be a chance to integrate. But as you know, you can't just chuck it all out and you know, bring in a lot of kids and, and, and go again. But they did, do, they did perform incredibly well, those uh, young guys or those inexperienced guys in Argentina in the summer with the 2-0 Test Series. So I think there'll just be a, le- there'll be a sprinkling of, of, of three or four guys. But they won't be unknown because you know, they've been in squads, they've been in Argentina in the summer. So there won't be great surprises in that regard. Well, I remember speaking to Eddie last season and, um, you know, I said when he came in the first season, he gave England four out of ten. I said, where are you now? He said, five. But we only need to get to seven. Mm. Um, What are they on now? Well, I'd say post-Argentina where they, I think, think there were certainly ten new caps. There might even have been eleven 
caps across the two tests there. I'd say that they're definitely up at a you know seven seven and a half really. I mean, it's seven and a half would be would be the max. They're still not a kind of facing an all black side as you would have as, as has been shown over the last five or six years, where you would back them to win every time. You can't say that with certainty about England. What they have done, England, they've absolutely maximised what they've got, and they're still short. I think they're still short of a bit of. They haven't solved the kind of. 13 for sure channel they'd they're be deviled by injury but this isn't everybody really um, so they'll want to get that sorted out I think the 10-12 Ford Farrell thing I think it works well for them I mean I know it was an ad hoc thing to start with but I think that's three. well yeah every time we try and write Mike Brown off Mike Brown comes back and shows you why he shouldn't be, be written off he's talked about getting a, um, a greater attacking threat presence from, uh, from the back be it Anthony Watson um, or Elliot Daly they want to try out there but Mike Brown I mean he's, he's you know he always comes up trumps Mike Brown and, and as Eddie Jones himself has shown you get rid of him at, at, at your peril but now they do do but they've got wings haven't they I mean that's mm. the thing in terms of back three you know and as we were talking earlier about Leicester Johnny May is, is on fire you know in terms of his club form when everyone's fit you know they've got uh, depth and quality in all the uh, three rows mm. of the pack you know, Alice Genge now, mm. uh, just for me, just has to prove uh, his capabilities in the tight at a higher level, mm. you know, to be challenging. Mm. You know, Marler is there, Vanapola, um, slightly different on the tighter side, but the, the, hooky, the hooking berth is, uh, is well stocked. And then when you come to the second rows and back rows, yeah. you have to sort of shove people in, you know, to one or the other just to try and get them to play because they're great players. Now, Players like Courtney Laws and Mario Toji, who could you know, play in both, is it right to shove them at six in front of players like Chris Robshaw, Haskell, or you know other contenders? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Courtney Laws has performed really well there. I, I don't. It, it doesn't seem right to me. He tells you there. He plays well there, but I don't think he plays as well as he does at second row. Whereas I don't think there's much difference between the level of performance of, of Courtney Laws at six uh, as he is at lock. So I think that's a better fit and I think that's fair enough to judge. You get something different, obviously, from having Courtney Laws there as opposed to Chris Robshaw. But, you know, like we just said with Mike Brown, you know, you again, you, you write Chris Robshaw off at, at, at your peril. So I think that's a, a really interesting. Obviously, Laws gives the line-out sort of presence. Um, not that, you know, Robshaw's too shabby, but Laws is, is an exceptional what, line-out. What about player. number eight? Well, I, Quinns yesterday, Quinns was Nathan Hughes had a... I, I think Nathan Hughes is now potentially going to play for England the way he plays for Was. You know, mm. he, he, he was a slight sense of a flat-track bully when he first came in. He, he looked terrific and then suddenly he disappeared. You know, I think he's matured. Obviously he has, he's just more experienced. I think he's more rounded as well, he, he does the thing. But he's got great, um, he's got great power and speed. You know, I think Billy Vunapola has still got the kind of pull-through power in his hips that he hasn't got. But he, he was terrific uh, yesterday against, uh, against Harlequins Hughes. So I'd certainly play him at number eight, yeah. That's all we've got time for. You've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. Thank you to my co-host, Mick Cleary. And as always, my producer, Abby Patterson. Remember to subscribe to the podcast because it's completely free and that way you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back next week, but for now, goodbye. Brian Moore's Full Contact is just one part of the Telegraph Sport podcast family. 
as you can also subscribe and download Total Football. Join Tom Gibbs and a host of Telegraph football reporters as they aim to take you behind the football stories of the weekend. Your Monday morning commutes will be instantly better for it.